I'm Matt. And I'm Jenna. We are Mana. And this is Food for Thought. A podcast dedicated to encourage and inspire you as you seek to grow your relationship with Christ and live out your Catholic faith. In today's episode, I talk about the two most important virtues I think we need for this time in our world. You know, I, uh, I woke up the other morning and actually had a slight fever, and I was late for a work meeting, and I had to tell myself, I said, self, I so late. Yes, that was a super lame coronavirus joke, and no, this virus is not a laughing matter, but it's important to have a little levity. As we come together, welcome to episode 66 um, on some great virtues that we're going to be talking about uh, to have during this time of pandemic. But first of all, let us talk about our peak pit and plug for the week. I encourage you to think about yours. Um, My peak is I did not have a fever. That was just for the joke um, that I am healthy. My family's healthy. Ministry is continuing as best it can at the parish where I serve. And um, just seeing really, uh, it's been great to see a huge effort of digital evangelization at parishes that honestly should have already been happening. And that this situation has forced that into the forefront of our priority is um, an unexpected blessing of this really terrible situation that's going on in the world. Um, my pit is that <clears throat> despite trying to stay positive and being healthy, um, I'm I'm really dealing with some anxiety. And I'm not someone who has ever professed to um, struggle with anxiety or to suffer from it in any way. I'm very good at stress management and um, and not being anxious, not having any, never had any kind of diagnosis or anything like that. Um, but I think just being out of control in a situation where I know I'm spiritually and physically, you know, responsible for my family and for their well-being and their health, and yet I'm the only one leaving the house and only doing so once a week to run errands. But if something's going to happen to my family as a result of this virus, it's going to be through me, and that just is it brings a lot of worry, you know, and. <clears throat> this um, research or lack thereof, you know, how I said in the last episode, everyone's an expert and nobody knows anything, um, <laughs> that we don't really know for sure about this incubation. It kind of feels like, is this virus like a sleeping giant? Like, you know, could you carry it or be around it for weeks, you know, without it manifesting is is a scary thought, you know? So um, that's been bringing a lot of anxiety. And, um, you know, my daughter, Hannah, um, she, the other night, um, this was maybe like a week, uh, I think this was after I recorded the last episode. Um, she slipped and fell really bad, uh, in our home because I had furiously been cleaning the floor where I had, um, you know, been, been walking in and out and I didn't dry it. And she slipped and bit her lip really hard and just blood was everywhere. And I was just like, God, this is my fault. I, uh, the emergency room is the last place I want to be right now in the whole world. Like what's going to happen. And I was just so terrified. And, uh, you know, if you're a parent, you know, that mouth injuries look way worse than they really are. We finally got a picture of it, sent it to our doctor friend and it was all fine. We just had to keep an eye on it. Swelled up a tiny bit, but not too bad. And then she was right as rain, like per, like, you know, mood wise within a couple minutes, the bleeding stopped within a couple minutes. So, um, she's good. She's almost completely healed now. That was, you know, um, maybe about a week ago. And so, um, you know, praise God for that. But that was, that hugely triggered my anxiety because it was like, 
I didn't want to cause any harm to my family. And then I felt in that moment that I had, it just happened in a different way. So, um, praise God that it wasn't worse. Um, my plug is, um, my daughter and I have been watching, um, daily mass with Bishop Barron every morning on his website, uh, wordonfire.org slash daily mass. Uh, it might be daily hyphen mass, but I'm sure you can find it. Uh, and they post at 8:15 Eastern every day. And so that's been really awesome. My wife will go do some work and then we'll uh, be downstairs watching daily mass together. And so, um, that's been really great. And then the Pope's Orbi at Orbi blessing that was streamed all over the world, um, yesterday. I'm recording this Saturday, March 28th, so it's a week in advance. So if I'm not mentioning certain developments or something, please forgive me. Um, but that, um, that blessing was just really powerful. And I, I feel like I received a lot of grace from, from that moment. I just felt like this outpouring of the Holy Spirit in my own heart and watched that with Hannah and very, very proud that my daughter knows how to say Pope Francis and Bishop Barron. And she always asks to watch Bishop Barron. So that's really cool. Um, so yeah, that's my peak pit plug for the week. Um, also want to send, you know, um, we're going to be talking about this virus, um, you know, not in a sense of like research or anything like that, just, you know, in the same vein as the last episode. Um, but uh, from a different perspective, like what can we do spiritually to really have resolve and perseverance during this difficult time? But I do want to take a moment to just offer, prayers and support for anyone who is struggling with this virus or suffering as a result of it in any way, because I know at this point you either are affected or know someone who's directly affected by this virus. And we're all being affected based on like our lives completely changing. Um, and so, you know, as of today, I think that I'm recording this about one third of the world is on lockdown because of this virus. Um, that's a lot of people and that's huge economic, financial and social changes that we're having to go through immediately. And so I just want to offer prayers for, for all those people, um, for special intentions, people who are close to me. Um, I just want to, you know, um, I don't want to name anyone cause I don't want them to be uncomfortable by that, but just so, um, you know, you know that we're praying for you. Um, so that being said, um, I want to start this, this almost sounds like I'm going to say something to the opposite of, of that effect, but I, I don't mean it that way. Um, you know, this has caused like a big disruption in our, uh, our spiritual routine. And I want to say that that part of the reality that we're dealing with, especially in the United States, is a first world Catholic problem. What do I mean by that? I mean that, you know, there was a big disappointment or a big, I think, difficulty with us not being able to go to mass and having to do a spiritual communion. And I know people are really struggling and suffering with that. And I just kind of want to shed light on the fact that like, I hope we realize like how lucky we are in the United States. Um, you know, we have a unique situation in Catholicism in the United States that in other Western countries, where maybe they have technology, they have, you know, advanced access to some of those things. The church is kind of dying in a lot of those countries a lot faster than we're seeing difficulties in the United States, and they don't have a lot of the apostolates, the podcasts, the online media that we have. And then in the rest of the world that isn't necessarily first world or doesn't have access to those resources, the church is often persecuted underground and uh, has no or very little resources to where they don't get to go to mass or even have mass available every week, let alone every month. 
Uh, it may only be once a year that they can maybe do that. And that's why, if you know the precepts of the Catholic Church, they're like the five, here's the five things that are the bare minimum for every Catholic to do. It says in there to um, to receive communion once a year in a state of grace. And we might look at that as Western Catholics and be like, that seems really easy. But in other places in the world, that could be very challenging. And so I just want for us to realize like how lucky we are and that not being able to do something like that is really like just the reality of a lot of people on planet earth. Um, and so to kind of be grateful for the fact that we can even watch mass, um, cause some people just on a normal, a normal day, you know, without a pandemic going on, can't even do that. So, um, to not get overwhelmed by this fact that this this really is a first world Catholic problem, like to really be asking ourselves, um, what really am I missing? I think as Catholics, we can tend to sacramentalize our faith in in, in the sense of not that the sacraments are bad. The sacraments are, are beautiful and we, we need them. Um, but to recognize we don't need them for salvation, technically. Like you don't need a single sacrament to be saved. Um, if you live your life in a moral way, you will be considered baptized by desire, which means you don't need the sacramental traditional form of baptism, which means none of them are necessary um, in the long run. You know, they're they're warranted and desired and recommended highly for us. We need them on our ongoing spiritual journey, but they're not prerequisites for our salvation. You know, Jesus offers salvation to us freely for us to accept. These are the ways in which he instituted for us to be in relationship with him as we seek to respond to that gift of salvation in our life. But what I'm getting at here is <clears throat> if all of the routine and going through the motions is taken away and you feel like maybe Jesus isn't part of your life right now or it's a real struggle, then maybe Jesus wasn't there in the first place. And I know that's a really hard thing to say or accept, but to ask ourselves like, am I? did I have a relationship with a routine or a relationship with a person? And do I recognize the seriousness of my relationship with God on a daily basis? Let me ask you this question. Have you, how, how many times have you prayed for protection or healing from the coronavirus? Okay, think about that number or how many times a day, a week. Have you prayed more or less for protection from sin? Probably less. I'm going to go out on a limb and say we're probably praying less for that. When in reality, that is the thing that will destroy us. You know, it says in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Like sin will always lead to death. 100% of the time, the diagnosis is death when we sin. 100% of the time, it's separation from God, sin. And yes, we can reconcile, but 100% of the time when we sin, it leads to death. The coronavirus, as serious as it is, today as I'm recording this, your odds of catching it in the United States are about 350 in a million. And your odds of dying from it in the United States, odds of dying from it in the United States are about 6 in 1 million. Now, that's not to downplay the seriousness of this virus and all of the issues that are going on surrounding it, and it is very serious, and we should take it seriously and do everything we can to prevent its spread. But, as it says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell or in Gehenna. 
Um, and so I think like we can get so concerned with our physical health and the things that we have control over that we forget about our spiritual health. And in the, the realm and spectrum of eternity, that's what matters the most. And so what I want to share briefly is what I think a couple virtues that are really important during this time um, that can lead to spiritual practices we can look to in order to stay spiritually healthy during this time. As they say, idle hands are the devil's playground. And we have a lot of idle time right now, a lot of downtime, potentially, unless we're really trying to stay into a routine and really use our time effectively and fruitfully. We There's a lot of room for more temptation, darkness to creep in, and for the devil to really gain a foothold in our lives. And so we need to be really Yes, we need to be praying for an end to coronavirus, but I think at the, at the same time, we need to, as much as or even more than that, be praying for an end to attachment to sin in our life and to avoid darkness and destruction. I mean, if I was so, if I was as worried about sin entering me and my family's life every day as I have been worried about the coronavirus, we would be so much holier. And that's completely on me. Like I'm saying this is someone who needs to listen to this wholeheartedly. And I want to encourage you to hear that as well. Like, this is really an opportunity for us to grow closer to the Lord, for us to rely on him, to seek his light in a moment of darkness and not let the darkness overcome because we're obsessing about something that um, we have no control over. Um, And yes, we have some control over about, you know, our own health and the health of others. But ultimately, you know, we can't tell if the virus shows up, you know, in a place that we are, we can't say, no, no, like, don't enter my body. Like, if if it happens, it happens, you know. And so... I think um, God is working, and to not forget that, um, and to remember everyone who will physically die as a result of this virus will have physically died another way. But it's more about the state of our soul. The state of their souls could have been very different at different times. The state of our soul could be very different at different times. And it's something I think we really need to be asking ourselves. Not that the coronavirus isn't important and we shouldn't be staying on top of it and doing what we can, but to recognize as Christians, we're also being called to look at the deeper reality here. Like, are we more attached to our physical life than our spiritual life? Because one will cease to be forever at the end of our life here on earth. And one will continue for eternity. And that could be a very good eternity or a very bad eternity. And that's something I think we need to be thinking about during this time. And so uh, during Lent, um, before all this pandemic stuff happened, I had made a commitment to read the catechism for Lent. Uh, And I have been loving it. I'm actually almost done. I'm going to be finishing early, probably in the next week. Probably by the day this podcast comes out, I will be my last day reading it based on the rate I'm going. Um, And I, you know, I really wanted to, I've read it for like sections for preparations for talks. And I didn't want to read it just to be like, oh, I read the catechism, look at me. But I really wanted to see like this this document is so important and encompasses like excerpts and summaries of every church document, major church document written before that and so many scriptural citations. Like it's the, the it's been called the blueprint for the heart of God. And for me as a Catholic, you know, teacher and, you know, consider myself somewhat of a theologian in that regard, you know, that I'm teaching other people and interpreting things for them. Um, I need, I have a responsibility to be familiar with that in a way that sees it as a whole document. And 
let me tell you, it, it was, it's so beautifully written. I don't, you know, that may seem like a very foreign idea to you. Like when you look at the catechism and the language in it, but like, wow, has it been just an incredible thing. And, and lately I was in the section that's about virtues and that's uh, part three. There's four parts of the catechism. So this was in part three, which is about the life of Christ and how that affects us and how the life of Christ should really be about our life. So it talks about a lot of morality, sin, grace, virtue, vice, the Ten Commandments, things like that. So it was in part three, the first chapter, and it was article seven. So this is paragraphs 1803 to 1845, if you want to read just that segment on the virtues. It talks about all seven virtues, um, and if you don't know this, there are seven virtues, um, shocker, seven being the number in the Catholic uh, world, and three of them are considered the theological virtues, and four are the cardinal virtues. So the cardinal virtues are like the the utmost virtues of how we live our life and how we interact with the world and one another, um, and those are justice, prudence, temperance, and fortitude. And the three theological virtues all have to do with how we interact with and view God. And so that's uh, faith, hope, and charity, or love is, is how it's commonly listed. But in the catechism, it's charity. And so I was reading them, and there was just some excerpts that of, of two particular virtues uh, that I think just rose to the forefront because of the situation we're in and made me really realize, like, wow, like, we really need these virtues right now. And what's funny is they're kind of the two virtues that every time I look at the list of virtues, they're the two that, I, at least for me, are kind of like, have previously been a little bit ungraspable, not necessarily in how to live them out, but how to really, like, define them and how to pursue them. Like, how do I... How do I find myself in a situation to do this? Like prudence, yeah, you can make more prudent decisions. You can be more informed, you know, uh, be more cautious, be more aware of sin. Temperance, you, you know, everything in moderation. Um, prudence, temper, justice, like making sure that we're being fair and we're not deceiving people, manipulating people. Having faith, yes, like, you know, believing in God, like, and letting that be something that, that we lean on. And charity, of course, like loving one another, that's like, seems to be the primary thing that Jesus came to teach, you know? But these other two, like, how do you define hope? And how do you define fortitude? Those two were the ones that I just felt like, in this reading, where we are with this pandemic, just rose to the surface. And so I want to share just a little bit about both of them, what's in the catechism, and why I think it's interesting, and why I think these are things we can really lean into during this time. And so, fortitude being the first one. Fortitude, one of the four cardinal virtues, um, it literally means strength, or sometimes translated as courage. Courage is a synonym for fortitude. And I like that word courage a little bit better, because if you break down the etymology of the word courage, uh, cor agio means heart acting or acting with the heart. Um, so it's not like if fortitude is translated or like defined as strength, it's not brute strength, but it's a, a confidence, a strength and confidence and almost like a steadfastness in the moment when we are acting to pursue and protect the things and the people that we love. When we're acting with the heart, there's a sense of of you know, fortifying is where this word comes from, where you're fortified, you're there, you're standing up, you're persevering, you're steadfast in that moment. This is what the catechism says about fortitude in paragraph 1808. Fortitude is the moral virtue that ensures firmness in difficulties and constancy in the pursuit of the good. I mean, what a, a, a virtue for right now. Firmness in difficulties, so not wavering, not fault, not yeah, being faulty in our faith, not doubting, 
but constancy in the pursuit of the good, recognizing that God is our ultimate good and that he is always seeking to bring about our greatest good and to be unrelenting in our pursuit of him and that idea. A couple uh, sentences later, it says this in the same paragraph, the virtue of fortitude enables one to conquer fear, even fear of death, and to face trials and persecutions. It disposes one even to renounce and sacrifice his life in defense of a just cause. This, to me, just reminds me of all those working on the front lines of healthcare and hospitals. Um, you know, I was reading something about the situation going on in New York, and Governor Cuomo was saying, like, you know, as bad as it's been, we've had, like, I think over 50,000 retired nurses come to the fold, like, people who are volunteers, like, come forward, or people who are... Um, you know, studying or doing uh, clinical rounds and things like that, like stepping up, all those types of people who maybe aren't like officially the ones who who are called to respond, just stepping forward to be like, all right, what can I do? And just complete like disregard for the risk that it is um, posing to them. Uh, I I don't want to say disregard in the fact that they're doing it recklessly. I'm sure they're aware, but they were willing to just conquer that fear and to face that, that trial because they knew it was the right thing to do. Um, and so that, you know, I think I said this in the last episode, but, you know, um, is your faith bigger than your fear? You know, I think is a a common phrase. Um, but I think that phrase, and I think I used it probably in the last episode, to be honest, but I realized in reading this segment on the virtues, like maybe it's not the right phrase. Maybe it's not the right idea. Like faith being bigger than our fear, faith kind of, to me at least feels like I'm disconnecting it from myself. Like I have faith in God and God's out there and God's in control. So I can't really do anything. So I would ask, I would ask rather, is your fortitude bigger than your fear? Is your ability to be courageous in moments of adversity greater than your fear? Because God wants you to collaborate with him. He doesn't want you to feel disconnected like you're out of control. Like he gives us the opportunity, the free will to respond to him, to work with him or to respond against him and work against him. And so is your fortitude greater than your fear? The other virtue is hope. And hope is the one that, you know, really, I think for me, has been hard to define in the past. It's hard to like, how do you define hope? It's like, well, you hope, you know, like it's one of those things like, how do I not define it using the word? You know, like it's just, it encompasses it, but it's hard to articulate. Like, what does that mean? And so here's what the catechism says about hope in paragraph 1817. Hope is the theological virtue by which we desire the kingdom of heaven and eternal life as our happiness, placing our trust in Christ's promises and relying not on our own strength, but on the help of the grace of the Holy Spirit. I read that and I was like, man, hope is what I need. I think I even wrote that in the catechism. I was like, I need this right now. Like to desire eternal life as my happiness, not temporary comfort and control here on earth, but eternal life as my ultimate happiness, placing my trust in Christ's promises, knowing that he is who he says he is and relying not on my own strength, but on the help of grace from the Holy Spirit, recognizing I can't do this on my own. Like God has got this. He is in control. That was something I just really needed to read and be assured of at that time. In the next paragraph in 1818, it says this about halfway through. Hope keeps man from discouragement. It sustains him during times of abandonment. It opens up his heart in expectation of eternal beatitude, or you say eternal blessing. Buoyed up by hope, 
Man is preserved from selfishness and led to the happiness that flows from charity. Man, keeping people from discouragement, how much do we need that right now? Like how overwhelmed it can be with the media and the scare tactics and the real fear that is associated with what's going on and being sustained during times of abandonment. There are a lot of people right now who feel alone, shut in, who don't have access to the community or the resources that they had before. I think of a lot of people who are in AA or NA or different addict or support groups who no longer have that. And I pray and hope that there's some kind of digital avenue that is being used to keep them connected, to keep them, you know, with their sponsor and, and, away from the vices that are very easy to turn to in moments of panic, moments of being triggered. Um, you know, as it says in Romans 5, 5, hope does not disappoint. It is hope that does not disappoint. That we have an assurance of that blessing, that expectation of eternal blessing, as it said in the passage I just read. Um, and I like that phrase, buoyed up by hope. Like hope keeps us afloat. It keeps us above the deep waters of darkness and preserves us from selfishness. Um, it preserves us from trying to kick our way, you know, um, kick our way up out of the water and exhaust ourselves out of an effort to save ourselves and recognize, like, I can't save myself. God is the one who is my buoy, my floating device, and that is all has to do with my hope. And in 1821, uh, just a couple phrases in this paragraph, um, we can therefore hope in the glory of heaven. I love that. Like, I think my hope has been too small. Like hoping for an end to this virus, hoping for relief, hoping for comfort in my anxiety. It's like, no, I hope for the glory of heaven. I hope for the glory of heaven and glory of God to be known through this, in this, after this, in the lives and souls of people who've died and their families. I saw something in the follow-up to the Pope's Orbi at Orbi blessing where an agnostic watched it online and basically like converted on the spot. It was just like, I've been an agnostic my whole life, but now I'm in tears praying to the Lord for the first time. And I was just like, that's incredible, you know? hope in the glory of heaven. And that hope causes us in every circumstance, it says later, to persevere to the end. That no matter what happens, we continue to persevere. And so it highlights this um, this quote from St. Teresa of Avila in the Catechism. Hope, O oh my soul, hope. You know neither the day nor the hour. Watch carefully, for everything passes quickly. Even though your impatience makes doubtful what is certain, and turns a very short time into a long one. Dream that the more you struggle, the more you prove that l l the love that you bear your God, and the more you will rejoice one day with your beloved in a happiness and rapture that will never end. That's from St. Teresa of Avila. I like that. Um, For everything passes quickly, even though your impatience makes doubtful what is certain and turns a very short time into a long one. You know, we've been, I think, the shelter in place for, what, a week now that I'm recording this? Probably two weeks by the time you're listening to it. And it probably feels like an eternity. And to recognize, like, this is going to be a blip in the radar of our memory and our written history. But right now it just feels so excruciatingly long and can be a real opportunity for impatience and being short with our family members and being just completely, almost unreasonably irritable or um, depressed at the situation because... We're, I think we're stretching every moment and trying to get every piece of information or control or really, maybe you're not, maybe you're just trying to handle the new family dynamic with everyone being in the house. And, um, and that's just making everything feel so much more difficult, so much longer, so much more trying. And 
I think in those situations, those circumstances, wherever any of us are at in this pandemic situation, or if you're going out still going to work and you have to deal with that anxiety of like, I don't know if I'm going to be exposed. Like, I don't want to be here. I'd rather be home. Um, all of that. I think we need fortitude and hope most of all in this moment, you know, cause hope, hope is rooted in faith and leads as it says to that charity and fortitude is really the courage that we need to stay steadfast to then practice those other uh, cardinal virtues. Um, you know, if we don't have fortitude, if we don't have courage, like why be prudent? Like why be temperate? You know, why be, why have justice? Like why not just like look out for number one or shelter in fear or do things out of uh, self-protection or self-preservation. And so, um, yeah, I just want to offer those to you. And I think they're the things that I find I'm lacking most right now. And they're often hard to define, our strength is important, our own strength, but it's not enough, ultimately. Like, I can hope in myself and, and have courage in myself, but it's ultimately not not enough. And so, maybe to ask yourself, like, has your, has your outlook in all of this been positive or negative? Like, are you relying on what only you can, can or can't do in your present circumstances, and that solely is what is affecting your mood or your attitude? Or do you honestly and wholeheartedly trust that God will come through and still feel that he's present and active in your life? That it wasn't just attached to going through the motions or to um, a, a ritual, but it was attached, your faith is attached to a person and that he's real and that he is who he says he is. You know, Bishop Barron has this saying where he says, um, if Jesus is who he says he is, then what he says is, is. If Jesus is who he says he is, then what he says is, is. Meaning that if Jesus really is God, then what he says, what he promises, is true. It happens. It's real that we can trust in him. Even if we are not behind the driver's seat, even if we have no idea what's happening and do not see a light at the end of the tunnel. I was you know, sharing some of these ideas at a Bible study this past week, and, and someone was talking about the things going around about Planned Parenthood being closed or not being funded as a result of this. And whether you feel about that, whatever you feel about that or not, you know, um, science has kind of unanimously said that uh, a human embryo at the moment of conception is a unique human individual because it has a unique DNA chromosomal pattern and that is something separate now exists from the mother. That's like scientifically agreed upon. So whatever you believe about the validity of that or the politics behind it, set that aside for a moment and just listen to this fact that if if Planned Parenthood is shut down for two weeks as a result of this virus, more lives will be saved than lost. Isn't that incredible? And I, I don't know how that strikes you, but it struck me as like, wow, like God is working in ways that I have no idea, like I can't even see. And yes, there's probably a lot of, you know, struggles around that reality for people not having access to other things they may not have access to. But in reality, like every, like I said before, everyone who dies of this virus will have died another way eventually. But not everyone who will live as a result of it will have lived. And when I realized that, and many other little things that God has just kind of spoken into my life through what I've been reading and what I've been praying about, what I've been seeing in a lot of the digital opportunities I have being home, is just that God is working in ways that I will never even understand, even until I get to heaven like through this virus. That's something that isn't even literally an organism. It's like a, a, a strand of, of DNA or RNA has literally upended the world by the smallest means possible that we can measure in terms of affecting our, our 
bodily composition and the way we do life. Forcing people to really be at the forefront of their relationships, of their home life, really ask themselves what matters most and what matters least. Really ensure, like, are we providing for one another? Really having to work for their own spiritual benefit and growth and revitalize the domestic church. Healing our planet of a lot of the inactivity that is now happening as a result of people not being out and seeing the environmental benefit of that just from a week or two in some countries. And so many other things that I just can't even fathom that God is doing. And so I don't want to downplay the darkness and the terrible things going on and the fear, but I want to recognize that if we hope in the Lord and we have fortitude and strength in, in that hope and in trusting in him, then it puts things into proper perspective and helps us to ask the question, am I more concerned about the physical reality that I can control and my physical health? Or do I have hope in a Lord that goes beyond that, that goes into eternity? And do I pray fervently for complete detachment from sin in my own life, from darkness in my own life, from anger, resentment, bitterness, uncharity, injustice in my own life? And do everything I can to ensure that the opposite virtues are being lived out in all that I say and do. If that's a struggle for you, and I think we're all admittedly in a moment of struggle in our history, I have a great saint to offer you to learn about and to ask for the intercession of. Pretty popular saint, you've probably heard of him, but he is Saint Maximilian Kolbe. What I find hilarious about researching uh, this saint for this particular episode is that he is the patron saint of many things, but two things he's the patron saint of are families and prisoners. And you may feel like you are dealing with a little bit of both right now, that you feel like maybe a prisoner of your family being locked at home 24-7. And I just thought that was pretty humorous um, in reading about him. But his feast day is August 14th, the day before the Feast of the Assumption of Mary. And um, he lived from January 8th, 1894 until August 14th, 1941. So he died in the midst of the Holocaust in World War II. And so a very modern, very recent saint in our history. He was a, um, in general, he was a Polish um, Franciscan friar who volunteered to die in the place of a stranger in Auschwitz, which was uh, a concentration camp um, in German-occupied Poland in the middle of World War II. He was born the son of a weaver and a midwife. He had four brothers. He was the second, so he's the second of five brothers. And uh, he had a vision of Mary when he was 12 years old. And at 13, the next year, in 1907, him and his older brother Francis joined the conventual Franciscans. He became a Franciscan. And then when he was 16 in 1910, Colby was allowed to, uh, Maximilian Colby was allowed to enter the novitiate, begin his process of becoming a professed religious and he was given the religious name Maximilian at that time. Um, he professed his first vows in 1911 when he was 17 years old and his final vows when he was 20 years old in 1914. And he adopted the additional name of Maria or Mary. And so you'll often see that listed as you know his or one of his middle names. Um, he uh, did his studies in Rome where he received two doc- doctorates, one in philosophy, one in theology from the Pont- Pontifical Gregorian University, and he was eventually ordained in the midst of that study in 1918 uh, when he was 24 years old, ordained a priest. 
When he was ordained, he returned to Poland and started to spread this devotion and veneration he had for Mary. And he was particularly outspoken against communist and um, similar movements and regimes. And um, he taught for a while, um, but he developed tuberculosis, so he had to leave teaching. And he um, recovered, um, at least mostly, to where he could continue to live. And then he went and did some missions in East Asia. Uh, when he moved to Japan... Um, he founded a monastery, Franciscan monastery in 1931, um, called Mugenzai no Sono, and it was on the outskirts of Nagasaki. And when the U.S. dropped the atomic bomb in Nagasaki, that Franciscan monastery miraculously survived. Um, and so you may have heard stories about that. But he uh, returned home after his time in Japan, uh, which was in the 1930s. And World War II eventually broke out in uh, 1939 when the Germans uh, invaded Poland. And he decided to remain in his monastery. He was one of few friars who remained behind. And he organized a temporary hospital there. Um, when the Germans captured the town, he was arrested. Um, and But he was later released about three months later um, in late 1939. And he refused to sign what was called the Deutsche Volkslist, um, which is like German people list is what it translates to, Deutsche Volkslist, which would uh, it would have given him rights similar to German citizens because he had German ancestry. He was ethnically uh, half German, half Polish. And uh, he refused to sign it, so he was still released. I'm not sure how, but he continued to work at his friary where he... Uh, provided shelter to refugees from Poland, including 2,000 Jews who were hiding from German persecution. Um, and he received permission to continue publishing his works, uh, though they were reduced in scope by the German-occupied uh, government at the time. And he continued to act as a publishing house there at the monastery and issued a lot of anti-Nazi German publications. And so as a result of that and the growing tensions um, from World War II, he, uh, the German, mon the monastery was shut down by the Germans in February of 1941. And on that day, uh, Maximilian Kolbe and four others were arrested by the Gestapo and they were imprisoned in a prison. And about three months later, he was transferred to Auschwitz as, as prisoner 16670. And he continued to ask as a priest, act as a priest there in Auschwitz. Um, and because of that, he was harassed violently he was beat he was given lashings he was smuggled into different prisons and areas by uh, friendly inmates to minister and um, by July 1941 uh, one prisoner escaped from the camp and that prompted um, the Hauptsturmführer um, the guy who was in charge of uh, the camp Karl Fritscht um, the he was the deputy camp commander to uh, he was as a result, he picked 10 men to be starved to death in an underground bunker to deter other people from escaping. So one of those men, whose name was um, Franciszek, hold on, I gotta say this, Franciszek Gejovniczek, Gejovniczek, Franciszek Gejovniczek, he uh, cried out, my wife, my children, and he had, had a family, and Colby saw that and volunteered to go in this man's place. So he every day would lead the prisoners in prayer, Every time the guards checked on him, he was either standing or kneeling just in the middle of the cell and just looked calm as they entered. Um, they were starved and deprived of water for two weeks. And after that, only Maximilian Colby remained alive. And so the guards wanted the bunker emptied. So they gave Colby a lethal injection of carbolic acid. 
and he was said to have just simply calmly raised his left arm and waited for the injection, and he died on August 14th. His remains were cremated the next day, August 15th, which is the Feast of the Assumption of Mary, who he had a particular devotion to. And he uh, said this, among many things, this is something I think is very pertinent to our conversation today. He said, let us not forget that Jesus not only suffered, but also rose in glory. So too, we go to the glory of the resurrection by way of suffering and the cross. Keep in mind through the intercession and example of St. Maximilian Kolbe during this dark time that God always brings resurrection from crucifixion moments. He always brings light out of darkness. No matter how dark the darkness is, the light will always be brighter. But if we're looking in the opposite direction or we have only allowed ourselves to live in the darkness and be um, completely succumbed by it, um, overwhelmed by it, the light will be too blinding for us to look at. It will be too blinding for us to see, and we will even avoid it to stay in the darkness where it, our eyes have adjusted and we've just gotten used to living. And so that all an analogy for do not lose hope, have fortitude at this time, and to try and seek those moments of light and positivity each day because this will get worse before it gets better. That is what everyone is saying. And so I pray that as you listen to this a week from now after me recording it, that worse has happened and hasn't been too bad and it has begun to get better. But let us all pray for an increase of hope and fortitude in our own lives uh, during this time, especially against attachment to sin, to recognize how much worse off sin is as a virus to our soul than the coronavirus is as a virus to our body, to pray for an end to both in our lives, healing from both, protection from both, and know that we are praying for you. We love you. It is so good to continue to be able to provide this podcast for you. I hope it's of benefit. If it has benefited you in any way or you like to share it, as I say, the highest compliment you can pay to us is to share this podcast on social media and with those who you love, especially during this time when people are alone at home. They got plenty of time to put us in their ears. And so, Please feel free to share. Please feel free to rate and review this podcast if you haven't or have not done so in a while. And please leave an actual review. Don't just hit the five star or however many stars. Leave a review. That helps people find this podcast um, more easily. And if you're so inclined, um, I know it's a difficult time financially, but for as little as a dollar a month, you can continue to support this podcast. Um, We will be fine. We will continue to record even if we go into some kind of financial deficit because of it, because I know... You know, there are thousands of people who listen to this every month, and we want to continue to provide this for you. And if there's anything that we can do to minister to you, to do topically, um, I don't want to only be talking about the coronavirus during this time, but I thought this was really pertinent and positive and a good thing to think about and not just talk about the virus, um, but talk about virtue and a perspective to have. Um, but we'll move into other topics as we go forward. And if you have suggestions for those, please let us know so that we can have some aspect of normalcy and continuing to grow in our faith and other elements, not ignoring what's going on, keeping it in mind and addressing it as we need to, but also continuing to explore other things that you're interested in. Let us know what those are. Follow us on social media at mana food for thought on Instagram, and you can email us at manafoodforthought at gmail.com. All that information is on our website, manafoodforthought.com. Stay connected with us there. And until next time, know that we're praying for you and we will see you in the Eucharist. Bye.